Hey, Village Church. Welcome to this week's podcast. This is our final installment on the life of King David, entitled, Son, I Am Dying. Over the course of his life, we have watched David witness the glory of God through triumphant victories and also suffer the consequences of his inevitable failures. This week, we find David on his deathbed, passing on his legacy to his son Solomon, the future king, asking him to know God personally and to serve him wholeheartedly. Village Church, would you have the courage to be the man or woman that God has created you to be? Would you be the man or woman you want your sons and daughters to be? Will you be an example of what it means to have a personal relationship with God and have the courage to share with the future generation the gospel of a saving faith in Jesus? Don't worry, I prepared a much shorter sermon. This is 47 minutes. You're going to be great. Just kidding, it's 55. Just kidding, it's an hour and a half. Open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. This is the last sermon on the life of David. The final one. We're 20 weeks into this series, and Solomon is coming up after this. And uh, I was at a, a conference uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, the speaker said something that just totally striking. He was facing uh, his inevitable death. And here's what he said. Facing my own death brought an instant sense of clarity and purpose. Facing my own death brought an instant sense of clarity and purpose. Um, Every one of us in this room have probably lost somebody very suddenly, and it is shocking, and it is difficult, and it is gut-wrenching. And we think about things like, oh, I wish I could just say one more thing to them. I wish I could have just one more conversation. I can't believe that was the last thing that we said. And, but then there are some of us um, who are given a very beautiful and unique privilege to steward. And that is when you know your days are numbered and you know that your death is imminent. And for the Christian there's always going to be an inevitable and understanding fear. Um, The unknown is always scary. What's it actually going to be like? There's always a little bit of dauntingness in in, in that. But for the believer, this is one of the most beautiful and strategic opportunities to redeem. If you're new to the Village Church, I want to just welcome you with this message. You're going to die. (laughs) Right? That should have been the title of this message. Last week was, uh, does your Jesus kill people? And this week it's, you're going to die. Uh, But that's But in all reality, some of you, it will be sudden, but there will be a few of you in this room who are given the beautiful, unique privilege to steward and to manage before God this season of life. And it is real and it is hard, but what happens in that season, you will never regret and it will be unforgettable to everybody who comes after you. And so if you, if Jesus should tarry and you find yourself in that privileged opportunity, um, I want you to be able to look at King David and look what he does because that's the season David is in. On the other hand, if you've heard of Brittany Maynard, anybody ever heard that name before? Some people, if you're alive, you might have watched her on TV. Um, uh, She is the new face of the assisted suicide movement, and she is not a believer, and her death is so sad and unfortunate and unnecessary. Um, And she wrote a letter to the world, and I want to read you the final eight words of her letter. And honestly, it was one of the most sad and hopeless letters I've ever read. And here's her final eight words. This is how she was going to be remembered, the legacy she would hand to her children. Goodbye, world. Spread good energy. Pay it forward. Goodbye, world. Spread good energy. Pay it forward. 
mean, I read that and I thought that is so sad. That is so short-sighted and honestly impossible. Be good. That's it. That's just how you summarize the message. Go be good. And I, I wanted to have a lot of conversations with her. Clearly, all of Christendom wouldn't have a lot of conversations with her. But I wanted to just sit with her and say, why should I be good? What's the purpose? Like, let's be honest, I'd rather be selfish. Right? If I know that I'm going to die and I have no hope, and nothing, I'm going to live it up and party if that's my worldview. So why? Why? What is the motive behind be good? That sounds cute. That may make people think, oh, how adorable is that? that yeah, it's going to be my mantra. Spread good energy. But why? And here's the point. Without Jesus, when you face those final moments, all you have is be good, or you can tack on another one. Make yourself happy. That's all you have. And I love this, that for the believer, we have so much more. Believe me, I don't think this message is a bummer message. I think this message is an opportunity for every single one of us in this room to ask ourselves, what is really important? And now some of you, the application, I'm going to give it to you right at the beginning, at the front end, so you can get it right. This is not just about what will you say in the last season of your life when your death is imminent. Here's my question for you. If you already know the answer... Say it now. If you already know the answer, say it now. Because you don't know, you don't know when it's coming. And here's what I know. These are powerful, powerful words that David is going to share with his son Solomon. And so here's what we have in the context. David is about to die. His days are coming to an end. David is given the opportunity to steward this last season. And he gets all of the people of Israel together and he says, here's what I want you to know. And he basically says, my son's going to be the king, Solomon, deal with it, no one else, support him, give him your full undivided loyalty. But then he takes Solomon aside and these are the last words he says to his son. I'm going to summarize them in three points. And the first point is very simply this. Solomon, know my God personally. Know my God personally. And the Bible is replete with stories of leaders who were godly men and whose children rebelled against God and fell under God's judgment. Over and over and over and over again, just because you're godly does not mean your kids will be godly. It does not mean that, okay? And so there's something that we can take for granted that because I'm a godly man, they'll just look at me and say, oh, well, I'll be godly as well. And that's not quite the way this whole thing works. And, Sol and David looks at his son Solomon and says, if there's one thing, if there's one thing I could go before God and say, this is what I want for you. I want you to know my God personally. Here's what he says, verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Now, who is his father? You can speak. It's good. Are we, are we awake here? I want to keep you awake. Who, who's Solomon's father? David, right? And so he says, know my God. And now this word know, right? This is not know about. This is not general knowledge about. All right, we're going to get real awkward for a moment. Are you guys ready for this? Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Have you ever think, th thought you would like get a group of people saying conceived in church again, right? That's a, I think it's funny, but... Um, do you catch the intimacy here? Do you catch this isn't a general knowledge of? And here's what he says. I want you to know my God, intimate, personal knowledge of him, relationship with him. I think if Paul could go into the, or David could go into the future and hear Paul's words in Philippians 3, 8, he would go, amen. Listen to what Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
knowing intimately, and then he personalizes them and says it's not just God in general, he is my God. And I think David is honestly onto something here with Solomon, is that Solomon, your circumcision, that thing you did when you were eight days old, it doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't mean God loves you more right? Um, just because you grew up in a home where your dad loved God, um, because you grew up and you had all this entitlement and everything was given to you and the word of God was implanted into your soul, and, 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 like, that doesn't mean anything. That does not mean that necessarily you, you are going to trust in God. And, and here's what David knows. David knows, Solomon, you have to take this relationship and make it yours. You cannot live off of God's promises to me. You must make them your own in a personal, intimate relationship with God. And here's what David is functionally at the end of the day saying is, don't rely on what I did for you to build a relationship with God. You need to own this thing for yourself. I think Paul, David, would look at us and say, you cannot give away that which you do not have. You cannot pass on who you are not. And there is this sense with David as he says this, these words carry so much weight, not because they're just words, but because of who David is and what David has gone through. Now, we all know, is David one of the most pathetic sinners on planet Earth? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the things this guy is capable of, it drives me nuts. And yet, what set David apart and... Uh, enabled God to call him a man after God's own heart is that he repented and then he made things right and then when he messed up again he did it better the next time and no matter how big it was David got onto his face and he repented and he came back to the Lord and he looks at him and he says look you're not going to be perfect Solomon but make your God my God your God personalize this own this here's the tricky thing about legacy and I think David understood this your legacy is not determined by the words you say, but by the things you do. So you can get there on your deathbed and you can pull your kids around you and say, be good. But if you weren't good, they don't mean anything. And here's my encouragement to you. You think about those moments. Who are the people you want around you? What are the things that you want to say to them? And do not wait until that moment to be that person. Do not wait until those moments, right, where your kids get to hear your good intentions that did not have weight or meat underneath them. So we, we say all the time, um, be the man you want your son to be. Be that person. And then tell him, follow me as I follow Jesus. Be the woman you want your daughter to be. Singles. So if you don't have kids one day, right, um, here's the word for you. Be the person you want to marry. Be the person you want to marry. Be the dad you want people to make your, put yourself in a position so that your relationship with God, you can say, look, look at what I've gone through. It hasn't been perfect, right? And when I messed up, I got on my face. But know my God like I've known my God. Come to my God like, like I have come to my God. Make him your own. Step up. Don't just live off of my faith. Here's what I know in the last service and this service. There's probably between one and ten people in the room who have believed or do believe that because you received a sacrament as a kid, that you and God are okay. And that because your parents acted in faith and did something for you, that somehow you and God are okay. Or that because you grew up in a Christian home or went to church or went to Iwana and memorized the Bible and went to a Christian school and did all the other things, that because you did all of these things and your parents set up this beautiful environment for you to learn and grow about God, that somehow you have deceived yourself to thinking you and God are okay. And this is where David's at, or Solomon is at. He has had everything given to him. And yet David looks in his heart And something is missing. I don't think you get it yet. I don't think you're totally there yet. 
And probably Solomon said, yeah, yeah, Dad, I get it, I get it, no God, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, listen, you don't understand yet. You're living off of God's promises to me and my relationship with him, not your own. And sometimes it takes moms and dads looking at their kids and saying, look, I'm going to call something on the table. You believe here, I don't see it here. And that's powerful. I'm not telling you to judge. I'm not telling you to cast condemnation over them. But sometimes you look at your son or your daughter and you say, I'm so proud of you. You got things right here. How can I help this? How can I come alongside of you and enable you to give God all of this? And that leads us to the next thing that he says to me. He says, I don't want you just to know my God personally. I want you to serve my God wholeheartedly. I want you to serve him. I mean, moms and dads, let's be honest, grandparents, great-grandparents, right? You look at your kids, and don't you just want them to know Jesus, to love him? I mean, I don't care what you do with your life. I mean, there's some things I don't want you to do, but I don't care what you do with your life. I, I, I don't care how many kids you have. I, I, there's so many things I really, at the end of the day, I am not ultimately concerned about, but here's what I want to know. I want to know that you personally know my God. I want to know that you serve him with everything you have. And then when you inevitably fail, you get up and you give him your best. And you give him your face and you say, help me. That's what I want to know. And so here's what he says to him. In the middle of verse 9, and serve him with a whole heart, with a willing mind. I love this word, whole heart. It means undivided. Let nothing stand between you. I, I think inevitably whenever any of us get to this moment with our kids, there's going to be a little regret in what we say. There's going to there's be a little bit of us that says, I kind of messed this one up. If you could learn from me and not repeat this, that would be great. Hey, Solomon, uh, there were some massive, massive mistakes I made. And guess what? The whole world for thousands of years is going to read about them. That was your dad. But you know what? I was wrong. I gave God for seasons my half heart. And uh, it did not go well for me. And I want to just look at you and say, anything that stands between you and your relationship with God, kill it. Get rid of it. Undivided. Whole. And, and son, you're going to mess up. It's frustrating and hard. And when you do, okay, you stand up. You get on your face, metaphorically speaking, and you repent. And you move forward. You repent. And you move forward. And I think he, these words are not just empty words. I think sometimes we can read just words on a page. There is more emotion in this text than you could possibly understand. You need to see a frail old man with a raspy voice who is out of breath, who is about to die, speaking to his son and saying, these are my last words to you. Take these. This is, this is deep and this is real. And he says to him, I've messed up. You give God your whole heart, your whole heart. Anything that stands between you, get rid of it. This is his prayer. Next chapter of 1 Corinthians 29. We'll go forward one chapter. He's praying for his son Solomon. Here's what he says. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart. And here's, here's the whole heart, okay? The whole heart is not measured in intentions, but in actions. When you catch this, you know you have a whole heart when you obey. Here's what he says. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. 
And David understands he does not want just behavior modification from his son. He does not just want good intentions. He wants a heart that knows God personally and serves him wholeheartedly. And at this point, Solomon might say, yeah, 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 dad, I got it, a whole heart. And he says, no, no. And a willing spirit. A willing spirit does not mean that I'm willing, fine, okay, dad, I'll clean my room. Anybody get that when your kids are little? That's my fine, right? No, that's not willing. Willing is eager and excited, okay? And then he says to him, I, I don't want you to just be all hard on the outside, right? I want the inside to do that. And in case you fall into the trap that I fell into, son, and thinking that, well, let's be honest, everybody else thought I was godly, right? But deep down inside, my heart was falling more and more and more away from God. And here's what he says. He goes on and he says this, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought. You can trick everybody around you. You will have yes men everywhere in your life, but you cannot trick God. And when you do try to trick God, despite what everybody sees on the outside, he will come after you because he's relentless. He is relentless. He wants your whole heart. He will not let anything stand between you and him. He is. I love this about my God because I am an imbecile, right? Give me an amen on that one, right? And then, amen. And then he comes up and he's like, you're a doofus, dude. Like, this is standing between you and me. Get rid of it. And I'm like, I don't want to, but okay, I'll do that. And he's so relentless. He runs after me and he runs after me. And then I forget. And then I go back and I turn my back and he comes. It's crazy. Yeah. Love it. Don't forget, Solomon. Do not forget. Don't make this just about the outward appearance. This is about the heart. And then he says this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Uh, There's this thing that we tell unbelievers all the time. If you're not a believer in Jesus, hear this. God does not play games at all. Some of you will say, reveal yourself to me. And you say, why doesn't he reveal himself to me? Well, God is smarter than you. He probably knows that even if he did, you wouldn't love him for who he is anyways. You give me one person who says, God, reveal yourself to me and I will give you my life, my soul, my all. I will do anything you ask me to do and I will love you forever. And when I can't do that, I want to invite you to change my heart and make me into that man. You give me the person who really wants to know who Jesus is for Jesus' sake, I will give you a God who will reveal himself to you. Hundred times over. And that's where most people don't realize. They're looking for God to prove himself to them. You're putting God on trial. And God's not stupid. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of his heart. And so if God holds himself back from you, I would say the problem isn't with God, it's with your request. So change and say, God, I apparently am not asking you for motives that you're at all interested in responding to. Would you change my motives? I don't even know how to change my motives. So would you change my motives to what they're even supposed to be? so that you would reveal yourself to me. And whatever you reveal, no matter how hard it is, no matter what you ask, I'll give you everything. And yet the inverse is true. If you resist him and push him away, the promises he will, these are strong words, cast you off forever and ever and ever. I think this is huge. And so someone might be sitting here and saying, that's not fair. And I would just say, God does not play games. He never withholds revealing himself to somebody who really wants to know him, really. And uh, it's just a little encouragement for you. And number three, look at his son and say, don't just know my God personally. Don't just serve him with your head and your heart. But here's what I want you to understand. There are a lot of smart people out there. There are a lot of knowledgeable people out there. But Solomon, you have a mission. Do the mission. Do it. And here, son, I want you to catch this. There's going to be a lot of people 
And they're not going to like your mission. They're going to give you a hard time with this mission. They're going to be people who walk away from you because you're committed to the mission. Do it. Jesus has told you to do it. God has told you to do it. Be all in. It's going to be hard. There are going to be distractions. A million things that stand between you and the mission. Get rid of them. Do what God has told you to do. Do what he's told you to do. I can't tell you this enough. Son, listen. Uh, yeah, Dad, I got it. I got it. I got it. No, you don't. I'm going to tell you this again. I'm going to make sure you get it in your brain. Do the mission. Here's what he says. Verse 10. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Here's what I want you to understand, son. Your mission is bigger than you. God did not make you so that you could bring glory to yourself. He made you and has saved you so you could do things for him. Okay, okay, I'll build a house, I'll build a house. No, 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 no. Here's what I want you This is going to be a lot harder than good intention right now. Because there will be, every day, a woman, a battle, a pleasure that will want to stand between you and the mission. I want you to understand this. This will take strength. This is not easy. This is not, oh, Dad, good rah-rah speech. I'm ready to go. Great sermon, Pastor. I'm going to be on mission now. This is, no. The, the command is actually, do the mission, but gear up because it's going to be harder than you ever possibly imagined. And I love that Jesus does not mince words, and neither does David. Your mission will require bravery. Verse 10, be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Go down to verse 20. He keeps reiterating himself. Then David said to Solomon, his son, oh, by the way, in case you forgot what I said earlier, be strong and courageous and do it. But, 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 wealth, women, pleasure, armies, administration, there are things to do, people to see, decisions to make, but you have one job, and at the end of your reign, if this one thing isn't done, fail. That's it. This is your job. Build the temple. Build a home for God that is more beautiful than any other temple so that when all people, all places see this, they know how great and big and beautiful and grand your God is. That's your job, Solomon. Do it. That's your mission. But, 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 but do it bravely. And he goes on, he says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Why? Because there will be people who get in the way. There will be people who say, don't spend the money. There'll be people who say, don't do this. It's too much. It's too big. That's just your father's dream. That's not really important. There's a million reasons why you're going to have to overcome at this point. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord, your God, even my God, he is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for this service of the house of the Lord is finished. Does this remind you of anything? Remember at the end of Jesus' life, he gets the disciples together and he says, oh, hey, by the way, um, team, go make disciples. Baptize them, teach them, and then I love this line, and I'll be with you wherever you go. 100% of the time, God looks at his people and says, I will be with you. Do you know why he says that? Because what he's asking you to do is more difficult than you could possibly imagine. I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of people whom I love. Many of you are good friends. And I, it is not lost on me what I'm saying. Uh, when I tell people, build bridges for the sake of Jesus, I am well aware that I am asking you to put your reputation on the line, to make awkward, or to make great relationships potentially awkward. Um, I understand, like, what is at stake probably more than most. Um, 
And so I know that, but here's what I can also look at you and say is that Jesus told us this was going to be more difficult than we could ever possibly imagine. Hit share on your Facebook and build the bridge. Take the CD and put it in someone's hands. Simple. And I, but I get it. It's difficult. And here's what you need to know. The Lord Jesus will never leave you, will never forsake you. He has given you his Holy Spirit to not just empower you, but to encourage you and to sustain you and to help you. He will never leave you. So I get what I'm asking you to do. I get what Jesus is saying. And, and David gets what he's looking at Solomon. I want to look at my kids and I want to tell them three things. <sighs> know my God. Serve my God. Give him everything. But don't just stop. Don't be the smart person who goes to church and gets smarter and fatter. Don't just sit there and watch TV with your whole life. Do the mission. So everybody in the room, if you've trusted in Jesus, your mission is clear. It's just so clear. And you'll get to heaven. And you'll say, I got smart, and I went to church, and I did all this stuff. And he'll say, who did you, any bridges you built for the sake of the gospel? Anyone? 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 Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relatives, far off, Facebook friends, Twitter friends, if you still have it, MySpace friends, right? It goes on and on and on. Every person under 30 just got that one. That was, right? Um, here's the point. You have a billion avenues of access to people, right? And he's going to come back and say, I gave you one mission. I just gave you a mission. Are you going to do it or not? No, I was too scared, but I said I was with you. But you don't understand it was too awkward. I said I was with you. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. And he looks at Solomon and he says, look, I understand what the Lord has asked you to do is more difficult than you can possibly imagine, but I've given you everything you need, which means you are fully equipped, number three, to do this mission. God has given you everything you need to do what he has asked you to do. You do not lack one single resource to do everything he has asked you to do. There are no games with God none. You have everything at your fingertips at every single moment to do anything the Lord would ask you to do. And if in that moment you say, but I don't see how you're going to provide, start obeying and you will watch the Lord provide everything you need. But I don't have the strength to do it. Walk into it, begin it, and you will see the Lord give you what you need to do what he's asked you to do every time. I love this verse 11. It says, Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, and its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat. Control freak, you think, maybe? And the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord and all the surrounding chambers of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries for dedicated gifts. Basically, Solomon, here's what I want you to know. I've given you everything you need to do what God has asked you to do. If you fail, you have no one to blame but you. No one. I've given you everything you need, and there's now no excuses. You have all the money. You have all the resources. You have all the plans. You have all the people. You have all the excitement. You have my commission. You have everything. And then God would look at us and say the same thing. When you are about to die, the things that are the most important in life become crystal clear. And I want to come back to my so what at the beginning. Most of you in this room... There's not a ticking clock. Well, there is, but you just can't see it. Let's put it that way. Um, you're not aware of the time frame. So why wait? If you know what's most important now, and you know the things and the legacy you want to leave to your grandkids, great-grandkids, your children, your friends, say it now. And then don't just say it. Do it. So I'll tell you a little story about my family. My dad became a Christian when I was in eighth grade. And before that, my dad was always a good dad, but wasn't a godly dad. 
And when my dad became a Christian, it was slow. He was in his 40s, and sometimes when you come to Christ in your 40s, you got 40 years of baggage you got to, you know, take out and then repack and put it back together. And God had a lot of work to do on him, just like he does me and all of you. But, and uh, I got to watch my dad grow and transform before my eyes. My dad now is not the dad I had growing up. They're different men. It's the same man, but they're different men. And uh, here's what I found. Some of you, you might be 70 years old or 80 years old or 90 years old. 90 years old. It's, like, it's too late. It is never too late. It is never too late. And so all of those years before my dad got things right, it's almost like they don't even matter. They are irrelevant to the legacy that he is leaving in my soul. So some of you are thinking, I have kids that are grown and they're too old. And I, I just want to tell you this, that there are a few things as beautiful and as powerful as a grown old man or woman changing and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Beautiful. We had a guy in the first service, came to Christ when he was 60 years old, and God has transformed him over the last 20 years. Amazing dude, loves the Lord, so funny, but his family has gotten to see his life transformed over the last 20 years of his life. Now that's a legacy you can pass off. So some of you are sitting here and thinking, I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so ashamed of the legacy that I have left for my children. I want to look at them and say, know my God, serve my God, give him your whole heart, do the mission, but I am not. So here's, what's the simple answer, parents? When you don't do something right, what do you do? You say you're sorry, <laughs> and you own it. And you say, let's do this together. Because they don't need you to be fake, because guess what, right? Your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your kids and your friends and your kids' friends, they all see all through it. <laughs> Amen on that one, right? They all know what's really going on. And sometimes you just got to get on your face with your kids and say, let's figure this thing out. And then if your kids look at you and say, you're going to be perfect from now on? And the answer is, <laughs> I've got way too many years of dysfunction to be perfect right now. We'll wait till heaven until that time comes, right? But here's what I can tell you. Uh, like David, I'm going to mess up sometimes. And I'm going to revert to old habits. And when I do, I'm going to say, I am so sorry. And I will do whatever I can to make things right. And I understand that there'll be even seasons when I lose your trust, right? Because it's really hard to make good intentions and then not follow through on them. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like whenever I make a good intention, if I don't do it perfectly, that I'm somehow a failure. And so somehow we have to have realistic expectations. I know where I want to be, and I'm going to take baby steps, one step at a time. So son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, great-grandson, great-granddaughter, would you pray for me? Would you come with me? Let's figure this out together. And I think David understands something very beautiful in this moment, and this is the legacy that he gets to leave. As he looks at his son, he says, know God personally. Serve God wholeheartedly. Do the mission. David um, is about to die, and uh, he, if you, in your community groups, I would encourage you to go read 2 Samuel 23, 1-7. These are the final written words. David wrote a song before he died, and that's it. But I want to read to you from 1 Chronicles 29, and as the band, you guys can come up, and these are the final words um, said about David's life in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 23. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in the place of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him, and all the leaders and the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David, they pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. And then David died at a good age, full of 
days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. The psalmist looks back in Psalm 78, verse 70, and this is David's eulogy for all generations. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob and his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, David shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Stand up and worship with us.